show filled with epicness, insight, and comedy rages. Welcome to We Love That Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of We Love That Podcast. My name is Paxton Pritchett, and along with Parker Pritchett and Garrett Burke, not in the analog, but in the digital form. Garrett, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, it's been a good Saturday so far. Still, still meditating and uh, getting word from some friends of mine about the movies that came out uh, last weekend. Sweet, so. that's awesome. Yes, this has been a crazy summer blockbuster. You know, like it just has been. We've had ups, like. One, yeah, we had Mission Impossible 7, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Those I would call the ups, but we've also had downs. I mean, we had uh, shoot, we had The Flash, yeah, we did, we which did forgetful. Mm-hmm. We had Indiana Jones 5, which some of us wish we could forget, it was a <laughs> at best, <laughs> at best. enjoyable. <laughs> If you don't think much at best. No, kidding. Uh, <laughs> then we've also had stuff like, now we've had this newest week of opening weekends, and that is none other than Barbenheimer. The the epic battle for the ages, where Barbie and Oppenheimer, a film about the film about Barbie dolls, and a film about the creation of the atomic bomb come out the same stinking day. And well, while we have yet we we haven't watched half of Barbenheimer, we have seen probably the better half, which is Oppenheimer. We went to theaters a few days ago to see it, and now we are here to talk about it because man, it was a crazy film. Like I said earlier, Oppenheimer, it's about the creation of the atomic bomb. It's a biopic by Christopher Nolan. His latest work, his last film was Tenet. Time before that, I believe, was Dunkirk. And he has made this film. He made it all analog, I think you said. It was like the credits said. It was so cool when we saw the credits. It said shot and finished on film. He shot it all on analog film, high quality 65 millimeter and IMAX 65 millimeter film, which are the highest quality films pretty much in the business. And then instead of digitizing them and changing or degrading the quality of them that way, he edited them with older photochemical mm-hmm. methods where they shine lights on the film to edit the color timing and everything. And there's almost no digital effects at all in this film. Uh, and if you see it shot on film, you're seeing almost what is completely an analog experience like the old days before digital came around. So it's it's very unique in that aspect. Yeah, and I, I've just been nerding out about this for the past several weeks. That he has watching YouTube videos and reading uh, about different types of film and and theaters and IMAX and all that. And it's, yes. it's 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 interesting to me. It Oppenheimer was a very interesting film. Like we said earlier, Christopher Nolan directed it. And it's the biopic about the creation of the atomic bomb by J. Robert Oppenheimer, a film that discusses his flawed, like most humans, life. 
You get to see some downs and ups of his life during World War II and the creation of the bomb and the aftermath of it. And man, Christopher Nolan, he did deliver on making a powerful film. We, I think we can definitely say that. It was a artistically brilliant, but flawed nonetheless type of film, in my opinion. Like, man, we could spend all day talking about both. Yeah. How y'all want? How y'all want to do this? You want to like each give our own opinions, or you just want to like first be with the pros and then move to the cons? Um, honestly, how about we do that? Let's just let's let's talk about. Let's the, just talk, and yeah, yeah. I'm sure we have a lot of the same thoughts. So I'm if one sure. of us mentions one, we can yeah, we can just move on to the next. You one. want to talk about the pros or the cons of this film first? Because honestly, the cons out of the way, there'll be less cons. That's true. I feel like this film, honestly, is one of the most conless films. I feel like I've seen, but the cons it does have are pretty. They're significant. They're significant. Like, I feel like for me personally, speaking from the guy that doesn't usually think too much while watching films, I feel like, I feel like one of the biggest cons was it is very, it's hard to follow. (laughs) Like it's classic Mm. Christopher Nolan. Okay. I'm watching this. I don't know for sure what's going on, but I'm going to p- pretend to know what's going on and just nod my head and assume certain things. I feel like for 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 a lot of viewers, it kind of could give that impression. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to follow. And some oh, of that's the brilliance of Nolan. I would but some of that could be the two brilliance. Of also, Nolan. I noticed with this film, because it's hard for me to follow films sometimes too. This film, even when I couldn't understand the details of what's happening, I kind of understood the basic structure. Of what was happening. I understood, okay, this guy's upset with this person. I don't remember. I don't know why. I don't understand what they just said. But I can tell based on the acting and the the music and everything that, you know, there's some tension here or. um, And then also, if you know a little bit of history going in, you've got you've got a good framework, too. um, Yeah. If you've got good history, if you understand a little bit about the the events and the people. But but yeah, I did have Nolan's complex style. Yeah, Nolan's stories. Nolan's one of those guys. He just can't tell a story straight. No. He's like my yeah. from Ant Man. Yeah. All right, sit down. Let's say <laughs> this. Now he has to. Like, and and I like play. part of me. Part of me truly respects Nolan for doing that because I feel like in today's in modern Hollywood, there are so few directors who are willing to try to tell a story that way. Um, and I think that Oppenheimer, given Oppenheimer's final scene, which is hauntingly beautiful, <laughs> um, given Oppenheimer's final scene, if you do what Nolan does, if you do that very well, at, like he oftentimes does, he's a genius. You create, you create such a unique movie-going experience as an audience because you're making the audience connect the dots. And then if you end on such a, a big note like that, I, I remember people telling me about Inception and how um, Inception, it's all about the ending. Like the ending of Inception will blow your mind. Um, that's what Nolan does. And he does it so well, but but sometimes that requires telling a story not in a linear, not in a purely linear format. Oppenheimer opens and you you clearly notice that two characters, the two, probably the two main characters are at odds with each other. And one is kind of trying to 
throw the other one under the bus and you, you really get a lot of attention there and you're like, huh, I wonder why, like, I wonder why their relationship is like that. And then as the film develops, you're like, oh, and he starts to give you little teases throughout of what these characters are going through, what, um, why there's tension here, why so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so and without spoiling anything, like it, it's just a really, it's a really cool experience. And by the time you get to the end of this three hour film, um, there's a scene that just keeps getting referred back to over and over again. And then at the end of the film, you see that scene take place in its entirety, a conversation between two characters. That's pretty and cool. how and how that is the perfect way for that movie to end. Now, let's be honest. Though the film could be hard to follow sometimes, it's nowhere near as bad as Tenet. I've seen that film at least twice. I still can't understand it. But that's part like, of Tenet's charm. Right. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. It's like because I get the very when we went to theaters to see Tenet, I mean, when that yeah, final battle was happening, I'm just like, you know, I don't even know what's happening on, on this yeah, screen. <laughs> Like afterwards, we had to go on Wikipedia and yes. look up the plot, and we're like, "Oh!" And we respected it after we understood yeah. it. If yeah. only you said that. No, I'm but kidding. see, if he let, if he if he fed it to us instead of made us think, then or if he fed it to us instead of us failing to figure it out and then go to another source, the movie wouldn't have felt as smart or as cool. It, True. I mean, not every movie could do Nolan's that. definitely a genius overall. Nolan has an obsession with like over-intellectualizing his movies. Yeah. Which is just, which is simply, it's simply taking, he loves taking a very intellectual um, mind-blowing concept and put and putting and creating a film around that concept. Tenet is a perfect example of that. And even Oppenheimer, like he He's just such a unique director. He's probably the most unique director in Hollywood today, I would say. I, just for least, his style and, and how he... Uh, most financially best. Yeah. Unique. Yeah, and he, he's made such a... He, he has a brand now. Like, yeah. Nolan, Nolan officially has, like, the Nolan brand, if you will, of, yeah. of filmmaking. And Oppenheimer like is no obsession. Like Ryan Johnson kind of has... Which, honestly, a lot of directors do kind of have that. Like if we yeah. say the words a Michael Bay film, we know what's going to come up. Yeah. And if we yeah. say the words a Zack Snyder film, we know what's going to come up. Yeah. But no one's are even taken to the tenth degree. Like you, you talk talk about Ryan Johnson, who definitely has a. I I, I would say I wouldn't say Johnson has a, a style as much as he's just about breaking the norm in any way he can. He does like then that will look different in any in every film he makes, whereas Nolan you pretty much know kind of what to expect. Nolan tends to follow a particular line and, and style in all of his movies, even comic book movies, which are a dime a dozen nowadays. But he even, he continues to impress with those movies that are a non over 10 years old now. Comic book movie? That makes no sense. I yeah. Comic book movies are supposed to be the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, our, Nolan has arguably the greatest Probably comic no, book origin story film of all time, and the arguably the greatest comic book movie of all time, The Dark Knight. Yes. I don't think there's any arguing. About now, it. let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, let's be honest. He's no offense to Christopher Nolan. If you're listening to this podcast, really enjoy you, man. But he's probably not going to win the award for best comic book finale. <laughs> like it's almost yeah. a running joke, just how much people make fun of The Dark Knight Rises. 
I still don't I mean, get it, by the way. It's my favorite. It's my, I might it one is, day, but I don't now. It's my favorite of all of them, to be honest. That's just personal favorite. I'll always admit the greatness of The Dark Knight. But me personally, I, I love The Dark Knight Rises. Such a great film. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as good as The Dark Knight as a film, but it wasn't as much of a step down from it as Return of the Jedi was from Empire. Maybe Is that we're... agreeable? Uh, not a, not <laughs> among us, I would say probably not. But I think among critics, yes, among critics, yeah. But but sometimes now, the wait, 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 wait. Critics can be wrong. Well, critics, honestly, The Dark Knight Rises is better critically than Batman Begins. I'm pretty sure. Which is which is quite shocking. It is. Which, like I said, though, Dark Knight Rises is a great film. It is very good. Yeah, yeah all, all three of them are masterpieces. I might say, and I guess this will be my last thing to say before we go back to Oppenheimer, because we're here for Oppenheimer. Uh, yes. But I personally would say probably Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, The Dark Knight Rises are my three favorite for DC. Yeah. Like, I love that's, it. That's saying something. Yes. So but yeah, Nolan's Nolan's style is on full display in Oppenheimer, and he he made this movie with and just took so such great care to craft a very interesting. I will say this: if any other director took the Oppenheimer story and set it to film, it would not have been like that. All other directors would have fallen short of making this film such a spectacle. Why? Because they definitely wouldn't have shot it on set on large format film. They definitely would have used special effects to create the explosions. And they definitely wouldn't have told the story in a Nolan way, which gives it so much more effect. And go- going to see a Christopher Nolan movie in theaters, especially in IMAX, it's an event. Like when a new Christopher Nolan movie comes out, he he's gotten to the point where his movies are an event and he turned Oppenheimer into event, an event. Whereas otherwise, if another director had taken yeah. over the project, it would have just been, oh, it's another biopic about like, a yeah, true who, story. Who you know, it, it, it would have just been another event, biopic. You know? Yeah. Like biopics, yeah. I don't feel like are normally event like that. Yeah. This and this one is for sure. <laughs> like that. So, yeah, uh, I think we all know what the other flaw like this is where me and you and radical feminists can agree on something (laughs) right and that would be uh definitely the nudity like that's kind of of where in the where did this come i know like it was very i'm happy that we knew about it beforehand i know people have different views on nudity in films i personally and i believe i don't like it at all like i mean like yeah, I think that definitely it was unnecessary. There are other ways to tell it without showing us Ford's pew naked. Like that was just a little yeah. uncalled that for. Was, it was and, it was wrong and it shouldn't have been done. Yeah. Gary, what did you think about Ford's pew naked? Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> how can I word this the worst way possible? Oh, so like Nolan took a lot of heat um for he should i mean for shooting those scenes um and it's it's mainly for without spoiling things for people in a huge way we still want to make you aware of what's there in case you're on the fence about watching it or whatever um there are really two main scenes 
um, that contained nudity um, that Nolan shot. And he, he come on, came under a lot of heat for doing that, um, notably because he never does that in his movies. Right. Like, this ever. is the first full-fledged nudity he's ever done in a film. Yeah. And I was reading, doing just a little bit of research on, you know, what was his what was his motive behind doing that since he's never done it before? You know, he surely he had to have a reason I, I would assume. And I read a little bit of an article of, of Nolan kind of, kind of explaining how in his mind, he couldn't tell Oppenheimer's story and make you understand the man without showing you to what extent his, his, extramarital relationship was with this communist and it is a very powerful thing in the story like yes you had we're to, talking about this earlier you, yeah you had to include that arc in the story because like he but is yes you don't have to show all of it without like, you don't have to show it all to let us know honestly, what's happening and make us feel the impact of it i feel like there are right. other ways you could yeah have the impact because nolan wants the impact he wants mm -hmm. you to be like like dang you know like or something he wants you really to feel this guy mm -hmm. but you have to almost ask the question where like can, your personal convictions and the sake of art where do they meet yeah and I've, uh, while we're on this topic i will touch on what is probably top three favorite scenes for me in the movie it's not one of the nude scenes <laughs> it's <Okay>. um <laughs> it's the scene where um the national security committee it's not a congressional committee because it's a secret committee when the secret committee is uh, interviewing some people who knew oppenheimer and were close to him during the process um i don't i don't want to i don't want to say this and spoil it for the people at home just because it's i enjoyed the scene the yourself if you really yeah and i i enjoyed the movie that much but there's a particular scene where they're interviewing um oppenheimer's wife kitty and I think considering from the beginning of the movie, when you see how Oppenheimer behaved throughout his life and the mistakes that he made, um, many of which he regretted, um, you see those mistakes that he made as some were very public. And um, I mean, cheating on his wife is about as low as you're going to get for a guy of his stature. Um and in that film, it was just amazing. I, I, I had, I, there were tears welling up in my eyes during the scene. Um, she sits there in this room of, of, <laughs> of guys who want nothing more than to tarnish Oppenheimer's reputation because it was politically motivated. And she just fiercely defends her husband mm -hmm. despite all the things that he had done from the beginning of the movie to her, a lot of things to her and kind of in her face, um, seeing her character witness that and then defend and her husband so fiercely thing, and so well was just like, wow. One thing neat that the movie does is like, because it's a true story, you see characters very messy like yeah. her character, you see this great moment where it seems like she's really defending him, which is like, well, this man doesn't deserve that. He's been she she's been he's been cheating on her. 
But yet, so you see this good, but you also see the bad. Like she is not a good mom. She is the, and she's an alcoholic. It's like, you just see the messed yeah. up parts of the family. Yet you also see the, a good act like that. So like, it's an, it's interesting experience to see this. Definitely shows what's like mm-hmm. being humans on a broken world in many ways. Yeah, in one of in one of the darkest periods of human history, where the right. pretty yeah. much the entire civilized world was at war with each other. Yes. Um, but yeah, on that note about the nude scenes and everything, I, I do think that there is something to be said for really understanding the depth of Oppenheimer's mistakes that he made in his past. Still doesn't uh, that still doesn't condone the use of nudity in in scenes and film. Um, but I do think that that was what Nolan had in his head when that, that drove him to make that decision to include that in this movie was he, he wanted you to, he wanted to somehow have the audience connect to Oppenheimer in a different way that, um, in, in his mind, I guess he could only express by including that in his movie. He wanted it to be a banger to part part of the time. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I might. Like, <laughs> that was pretty good, Pax. I'll I'll give that one to you. I appreciate it. So to move on to the good, we we, we got to get the good stuff in, yeah. like because the film was artistically brilliant, like. Yes, there was a moment in the film where Parker audibly gasped. In the theater. I think there were more than one, but the one you're talking about was the loudest. <laughs> it was at the beginning of the film. It was like literally the first, the first shot. <laughs> it was the first Funny. full shot of a human in the film, and because <laughs> we went to go see it in IMAX 70 millimeter. We drove the distance and paid the price. It was worth it. <laughs> not as close. Eighteen dollar popcorn and drink. Yeah, Dang. our tickets were we, our seats were not as close to the center as we'd like them to be, and we would have had a better experience if we were closer to the center. But we still had a great experience. And if you can at all go see this in IMAX seventy millimeter, do it. Go it. Yeah, yeah, go it. Do it. Go it. Go it. But also, if go you can't it, get see it, it right. in IMAX seventy millimeter. Definitely still find a big, true IMAX screen to see it on because IMAX, the size of the screen and the sound are more important, I think, for this than um, even then how the visual clarity is because you need those things for the bomb explosion. The visual clarity, though, in IMAX 70 millimeter in the scenes shot on IMAX. Now, Parker, you might have to, uh, I, I, hopefully we'll have some time. You might have to give a little background okay. information because not not everybody knows. Yes. Okay. Yes. Back in the old days, before we had digital technology, there was uh, film. Before the days of millennials. Yes. And so there were these things called film reels, and it was made of this chemical substance that when light hit it, it would capture the picture physically on the film. Um I'm kind of joking. I kind of feel like that's like landlines. Everyone should actually know what they are. And we're joking how, well, remember, you remember, you don't remember landlines, kids, but you don't know what they are, but they probably yeah, like, do. How do cameras work? Yeah. I was like, take a picture. Well, that is how a phone. camera works. It used to work. They captured the image on a film and there were no pixels at all. I repeat, no pixels. How'd they make the picture? Right. And so there were different types of film. There was the normal 35 millimeter wide film. 
And then the big epics like Ben-Hur were shot on 70 millimeter wide film or 65 millimeters. It's the same thing. And uh, those captured even more clarity. Well, when digital came along, digital pictures where the image is captured on a sensor that converts it into little pixels, um, that was so much more convenient and inexpensive that uh, movie theaters or movie studios switched from shooting on film to shooting on digital for in large part and movie theaters switched from film projectors that held the actual physical reels to digital projectors that you didn't even have to go up and operate you could operate remotely and um, those digital movies look great when they're done right but they're still a different look than film and they still can't capture the degree of detail that a film can capture and so nolan shot Oppenheimer completely on the high quality 70 millimeter film that the old epics were shot on. And then he also used a lot of scenes in IMAX 70 millimeter film, which is like three times bigger in its uh, image capturing size because it rotates the image to where the width of the image uh, is the width of the film. I think I might be saying that backwards, but um, it's just a lot higher quality than even 70 millimeter film. And he shot the movie completely on those two formats and he edited them without running them through a computer. So it was never digitized. Right it was basically done visually. It was done the way old movies were made. And so if you go see this film on film, even if you see it on 35 millimeter film, what you're watching looks just like what your grandparents and great grandparents went to see the visual quality, how clear the image is, the way the image kind of shakes just a little bit. You hear the projector spinning in the background, the film reel, not just a fan on a digital projector, but this is a real film projector. So you hear the reel. Spinning. That was, that was so neat. there's someone up there has to operate it. You know, there was uh, the, the film reel itself is for this movie, since it's three hours long and on huge IMAX film is 11 miles long and 600 pounds reportedly. And like there was a theater in Grand Rapids, an IMAX theater that actually broke down. Like the film itself, 20, about 20 seconds of the film were destroyed because it came off the reel and they had to order a replacement. Um, and they actually took their uh, their uh, uh, customers up to see everything and try to give them their money. I think that'd been so cool to go up and see the projector. Wow. But um, anyway, uh, this movie was shot completely on the highest quality film formats known to man and the highest quality motion picture formats known to man. And when you go see it in IMAX 70 millimeter and the screen, you notice there's no black bars or anything. It's just fully showing the complete image uh, taking up the entirety of the screen. The level of detail that it shows was like whenever amazing. it first did that and it zoomed into Killian Murphy's face, you saw every single detail of his face. It took my breath away because I was like, is it going to really be as good as they said it was? Well, those scenes that are shot on IMAX really are as good as people say they are. Yes. And it's not only is it charming to see the old fashioned 70 millimeter, but it's actually breathtaking to see the IMAX 70 millimeter in full force. Yeah. The cinema, the cinematography of the film. Yes. I hope that uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema, I hope I'm pronouncing that halfway decent, at least. I hope he gets an Oscar nomination and maybe a win for the film because they went through all that trouble. They even devised, they invented black and white IMAX film because there had never been any made before for this movie. Like they didn't yeah. shoot it in color and drain the color and edit it that way. They they actually shot it on black and white. It was cool. really a stunning experience to see it on 70 millimeter IMAX. And those scenes, like you said, Parker, when you see them 
and how clear they look. Like it almost, it really is probably the most breathtaking experience I've had at a theme. Kind of like being on a theme park ride, actually. Yeah. Sometimes like, whenever that camera's moving over a big uh expanse, like when they're zooming out over the Los Alamos or the desert. That was the best shot um, of the whole film. I if thought. you're sitting in the middle of the film and the screen is taking up most of your peripheral vision, you might actually feel like you're moving. I mean IMAX does that sometimes when you're in the right spot. Okay. The right shot, Parker. And this was two D. They need. They so need to make soaring adventures in Disney World, Mm -hmm. where the projector and you're being flown from projector. Make that seventy millimeter IMAX camera. That ride would be the best thing. That's so cool. They could think they should think about something like that. Yeah. Garrett, what were some of the ups of this film? Like, because like we talked a lot about the downs, but like, what were some of the things you thought were like, dang, that was. Kudos, Nolan. Kudos. Um. So there's so there was so much that I enjoyed about the movie. Um, I think perhaps more than anything else, just the fact that the movie was such a a brilliant drama. Um, it takes us it takes a biopic about a scientist. I'm not a science guy. I have very little interest in it. Um, but I am a huge history buff, and so because I'm a history buff, I enjoyed watching Oppenheimer because it's the story of history and um while a whole lot of people are probably out there if they haven't heard very many reviews they're probably just thinking okay it's a movie about the creation of the atomic bomb that's true but it's not true in the way they think because the movie is not about the development of a device the movie is about the creation of the atomic bomb and the implication that that has on the world through the eyes of the man who created it. Yes, that's a very um, that's that's what the movie's about. Because roughly, roughly half the movie has to do with them creating the bomb and Oppenheimer struggling with you know, what's this bomb going to do if we set it off? You know, wondering about if it's going to be a success or whatnot. The other half of the movie is an intense political thriller about Oppenheimer having to defend struggling against all hope to um, argue his case that he is not a communist sympathizer and that he didn't have anything to do with the leaks that came from Los Alamos that the Soviets got a hold of, um, which led to the Cold War and led to all to where we are today. Um, I remember in history class way back in eighth grade talking about, yeah, you know, we dropped, we dropped the atomic bomb on Japan in World War II, and then we realized just a few years later that, boom, the Soviets had a spy there that learned all the secrets of how we developed it and so now that led to a nuclear arms race and thus you have the cold war i remember learning about that and it was so cool just seeing the political intrigue behind the investigation behind that in oppenheimer um and nolan brilliantly uses that to springboard in almost almost a sort of antagonist in the movie um a, a politician who was up for a, a seat in the cabinet. Um, and so he puts that 
investigation within the context of this power hungry politician is going to try to exploit Oppenheimer's past because he has a personal vendetta against him. Um, and so seeing that all throughout the, the scenes that are shot with this antagonist, if you will, uh, most of those scenes are the black and white um, IMAX film that was developed especially for this creative movie. decision right there. Yeah. A, the eyes of one person be seen in black and white camera. But when you see the movie from the eyes of another, basically, it becomes yeah. like that was a very artistic. all of all of Oppenheimer's scenes are shot in color because Oppenheimer is a very dynamic um fluid character what i mean by fluid is he makes mistakes he does he he operates at his discretion and he he does some great things in the movie and he makes some very very big mistakes so he's a very uh almost kind of grayish character like what what does what is the emotional impact on this man but this antagonist this uh nominee for cabinet He's very his scenes are black and white because he is very um, he's a static character throughout the film. He's the guy who got his feelings hurt because of X, Y and Z. And now he has this. He is just focused solely on tarnishing Oppenheimer's rep, rep, uh, reputation in any way he can. And so that that whole aspect of the film that the investigations, the um the government trying to get Oppenheimer to stumble up and trip over his own words and trap him um, was just so exciting. And seeing it in IMAX was obviously so immersive and really puts you right there in the seat with him. Um, that was, that was something about the film that I did not expect to see, but was thoroughly impressed with. And all of the acting performances are just top notch. I mean, these are, these are a lot of actresses, actresses and actors that i've seen in other projects but they were all like at their best that i've seen i personally um i mean killian murphy i've seen him in a few films because um, he's he's in so many christopher nolan movies this is his best acting job i've ever seen him do by far yeah and i would dare say that it could very very well be robert downey jr's best acting job as well um i I look to see them both nominated for Oscars um, later on this year as award season rolls around. Please. That's awesome. Yes. I, yeah, the film, some of its brilliance, like the music, I mean, yes. Gordon, yeah. kudos to that guy. Like I love the sense they were using and the way you just, the way you can just enjoy on those IMAX speakers. It, it worked great good music visually stunning and yes acting by downey and murphy was great and i i could even i, I would even argue it did a neat job talking about just the morally gray decision of dropping a bomb you know that's definitely no matter where you're at in life that's definitely a morally gray idea yeah because like you know all these people are innocent yeah. at least innocent in the matter of versus in the war you know it's like they're not dropping it on the soldiers, they're dropping it on the cities. And it did a neat job with how that would affect a person, you know? Yeah. Like throughout the film, in the beginning parts, uh, Oppenheimer is like, yes, we're making the bomb. And then when they actually drop it, it's almost like, should I have done that? And like, I mean, maybe it could have done better in the wrestling of this decision. Like perhaps, to, like it talked a little bit about the pro reasons to drop the bomb. 
mm-hmm. but maybe it could have done a little more of that, honestly. But for what we were given, like the way, yeah, it really wrestled with the, this it, morally gray idea. I think um, this this movie did something that was incredibly. Uh, it was just it was incredible because it was a political movie without feeling divisive. It was a science fiction movie that wasn't fiction. The science is actually real. The scary science is actually real. And then uh, it was a drama that didn't feel like it was caught up in, you know, what we would call a negative sense of drama. Like uh, it wasn't, it it wasn't just, it it didn't feel like it was bogged down by focusing on that in the wrong way. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how to really quite how to say that, but it did, it it focused on all the drama, but in the right ways or it, it, it balanced those layers of a film that made it a really fantastic movie. Yeah. And I, I will say this, like the movie, you talk about the implications of dropping a bomb and the morality of that. Um, the movie doesn't portray, it doesn't show this because it wasn't a part of the story that the movie was telling. Um, but Oppenheimer was legitimately afraid of this bomb. And even after they tested it, Oppenheimer did not agree to let the U.S. drop the bomb unless we warned the citizens ahead of time, mm. and that's something you don't you won't see in this movie. But um, discuss it, but the, they don't. They don't really. They right. someone brings, someone it, up brings it up. Like, can we warn the citizens somehow? Yeah, and like and that. and we did do that. Did um, we do that? Yes, we dropped over eighty million flyers across ten Japanese cities. Wow! Before we dropped the first bomb um, that had Japanese writing on it telling the civilians wow. we're going to drop a bomb on one of these 10 cities within the next week or two you need to get out wow 80 million flyers i've i've seen some of the some pictures of the flyers um and a lot i feel like a lot of people my parents were not taught that in school um it's a part of history that oftentimes is left out which is sad but um but we did warn the japanese civilians um, that we were, that we had a bomb that we were going to drop. Um, and yeah, we dropped 80 million flyers to let them know that. So just, well, just a little tidbit of history yeah. before we finish up. Yes. It looks like we have to finish up. We're in the last minute. Thank you so much, Garrett, for joining us. Thank you so much, Parker, for joining us as well. And yes, like us on Facebook and Instagram and follow us on YouTube. And go see Oppenheimer. That's in, in IMAX. IMAX. Go yes. See Let's go, 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 let's go